Welcome everybody to episode 53 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Lil Bon X here with SB Unfurled. We were just talking about episode 53. This is the Greg Sanders episode. We got back-to-back retired number episodes. I remember when we did number 44. I can't remember if we had Andrew Nicholson on for number 44. I don't think it was for 44. He was on. He was on during COVID, so it was way earlier than that. But the last of the retired numbers, we got 53 and then 54 um for we got sanders and crawford coming up and then we're done we're done with the retired numbers no 55s yeah just a quick little history lesson for everybody who's not familiar with the uh the 70s and 80s bonnie's for sure um he was inducted in 1988 into our hall of fame he is our all-time leading scorer greg sanders 2238 career points 637 career rebounds, and he was the MVP of the 1977 NIT championship. Great, great, great player. Um, wish I, there are so many good players that I wish I could have seen. Greg Sanders was one of them. Um, just awesome field goal percent. Like I was looking at his stats, uh, and now I just pulled him up again. Played from 74 through 78, averaged 21 points his junior year, 22 his senior year. Um, played on teams with Essie Hollis and Jim Barron. Like you said, they they won the NIT championship in Madison Square Garden, one of our most decorated, uh, celebrated teams in um, program history. And he was he was probably the main part of that. Yeah, he was very solid. He was a he had forty points against Houston in the NIT championship game. And yeah, he was uh, definitely one of the all time greats, and certainly somebody that. We wanted to remember as we kick off this episode, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We had an up and down week, I would say. I I think it was a terrible performance against Bucknell, even though we won. And then it was probably our best performance of the season against (laughs) Miami of Ohio. So a little up and down. You would think it would be the other way. You would think they would have been really hungry on Wednesday. And then Saturday after eating a bunch of turkey would have had the bad performance. But it was the opposite, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, I I wonder if they still go to like. I feel like the team goes to Schmidt's house for a, a big Thanksgiving probably. dinner. It's probably it's probably awesome. Um, Bucknell Bucknell game was horrible. Uh, it's a win, I get it, but you know it's that was one of the honestly one of the worst games I can remember, and I have since forgotten about it. So yeah, um, yeah, I don't think we need to really talk about that too much. The cold shooting continued. Um, a lot of, you know, a a lack of ball movement, a very stagnant offense. Again, another one of those games where I think we went up, you know, maybe even double digits. I think we were maybe up 11 with like seven minutes left. I'm not sure. This is just off the top of my head. 12. Okay. And it looks like, okay, maybe we will outperform or just be right on par with the metrics that, um, I think we were favored by like 17. Um, but no, we let them right back in it. They got down. I think they got it down within two possessions. I don't think it ever got within one possession late, but, um, yeah, you let them back into it and just not even looking at the metrics or the box score, just watching that, like it was frustrating because Bucknell is not any good. It's a first year coach, um, really young coach came from St. Joe's, like we we talked about previously, um, and they just they had not much strength. Uh, it, I, I know a Bucknell grad from the '80s, and he said this is probably the worst Bucknell team that he can remember in like 40 years of watching <laughs> every season. Um, and you could kind of tell, like we had advantages you know, athletically and skill wise at all these positions, but for whatever reason, we just could not really put together a solid offensive performance. Again, the defense was good, but, um, just watching the two teams, I'm like, what, why aren't we up 15, 20, you know? Uh, and then that, that ended up happening and and it was kind of a get right game on, on Saturday, I would say. And hopefully we have more of that, um, over the next three games. Yeah. I think they definitely fixed some things after Bucknell because that game was rough. I think that's easily the worst performance we've had this year. We played better against Auburn, even though we lost by 20. We played mm-hmm. better against Canisius, even though we lost to Canisius, who's not much better than Bucknell, probably. But, yeah. you know, I think we can, you know, get more into what got fixed on Saturday. Just dwelling on a little bit of, of Wednesday, because these performances do happen quite a bit for us so I think we have to kind of look at it the only offensive threat that we had for a good stretch that game was Moses Flowers he was 
four or six from three. Mm-hmm. I think he hit his first three right off the bench in the first half. There are only yeah. threes as far as I know in that first half. He was about the only one that didn't already go to Thanksgiving dinner a day early at the beginning. And then he came and, out of the game. <laughs> and then, yeah, and that, and that was what's baffling to me. And, uh, yeah, that's that's that was the first thing I thought of, like, what I want to ask you about when we were watching that game was, you know, he hit those three threes and then Schmidt immediately pulls him. I, I know he's, you know, beholden to his senior stars and trying to get – you know, Daryl Banks to get back into rhythm, which he definitely did on Saturday. But what do you make of having that situation when, you know, Flowers hits those three threes, finally gets a spark on offense, especially from deep, and then immediately goes back to the fence? What do you make of that? Honestly, in the moment, I was like, I looked up and he wasn't in. I was like, oh shit, did he get hurt? Like that was my first instinct. I thought he maybe like rolled an ankle or he got hurt and he was getting worked on with the trainers because I can't really, I couldn't see the bench from where I was. Um, Not too sure. I I think, you know, that coaches do like to stick to the rotation, but especially if you have like a fifth year senior captain like Flowers, if he's got the hot hand, ride the hot hand. Like I, I think there was a game. It might have even been Auburn when Evans made a couple really awesome plays, and he was he was giving us a huge spark. And then I think he came out as well. Um, so yeah, uh, Flowers played 19 minutes. Evans played 17. Banks played 36. Um, and that was at the tail end. Now, thankfully, the tail end um, because of what happened in Miami, Ohio, the tail end of his cold streak um and but it wasn't like flowers made a I, that i can remember at least that he made a, a gaff on defense or that he made a huge mistake and um or that he was taking bad shots you know he was he was the only guy giving us what we needed at that point and then he came out so i i don't i don't really know honestly um and I didn't go watch that back as you can suspect. So um, not sure other than, you know, just banks coming in to get his minutes and just sticking to the rotation. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty much the only explanation you could, you could figure. The one other idea I had about why Moses came out so early or, or while he was getting into a bit of a hot streak is he is still coming off a little bit of an, an ankle injury. So maybe Schmidt didn't want him to overwork it. And maybe he was, you know, trying to give him like four to five minute intervals instead of making him mm-hmm. play like nine to 10 minutes at a time and potentially re-aggravating yeah. his injury. So that's that's the only other thing I could think of why he came out at that point. But yeah, like Charles Pride came through a bit in the second half, especially he, I mean, he ended up hitting three threes of his own. I, the big, uh, one big thing I got concerned about with Bucknell, especially for looking forward, especially when I think about the Florida Atlantic game, which is our next huge game on the, on the menu in a couple weeks. Uh, Noah Williamson for Bucknell, their big guy. He was not like, he was not the most dominant player. Jack Forrest was for them, the former St. Joe's player, but Noah Williamson down low had a pretty solid game for Bucknell. He's very athletic, a stretch five kind of player. And when I think of, you know, some of the stretch fives, whether it's Deron Holmes or, or, um, you know, at Florida Atlantic's uh, Russian guy, Golden, uh, Goldine, probably. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> he's, yeah. yeah, he's really good, too. Like, th- those kind of guys, I worry, will get Chad Venning and Noel Brown into foul trouble like we even saw against Auburn. And, you know, that's one issue I did see pop up against Bucknell. It didn't really burn us on Wednesday, and it definitely didn't come up on Saturday. But that's something that mm-hmm. I think goes back to what we were talking about last week with the foul trouble. And, how are we going to deal with stretch fives and and other you know big men who can just get Venning and Brown uncomfortable? I've seen some people being concerned about like the hedging that uh, the big men especially do. We saw that a lot with Oshun a couple of years ago, since he was you know long and quick and was able to you know retreat back into the paint faster than Venning and Brown. Do you think they should keep up the strategy of hedging on? on the screens and double teaming and, and, and potentially leaving guys vulnerable down low. I think it depends a lot on the matchup. Um, but yeah, it, I would rather not have Brown and Venning out on the perimeter offensively or defensively. I, I would like to see a, like a little more zone um, at times to kind of just get them down there instead of chasing guys around the perimeter. Um yeah, I, I mean, there's that, and then there's a couple other things I, I feel like uh, that I would kind of like to see a little bit different. We pushed the pace more, I thought, against Miami, and it, yeah. I feel like we got a little bit more into the press. Um, but yeah, like 
you got to be able to protect those guys. We talked about on the last episode some some things that we could probably change or tweak just a little bit to make sure that Venning isn't getting into foul trouble because he had, he had a really good offensive game against Auburn. I think he was like seven of eight, but he was hardly on the floor chasing. I think it was broom around um, the perimeter. Uh, so yeah, I mean, teams are going to see that. And I thought Canisius did a good job getting him out on the perimeter, getting him into some bad situations. It's tough to, to have a really hard hedge. Like we want to do 22, 23 feet away from the basket and then recover. Um, I, I think, you know, in Asa, not the strongest post defender, right? Like when you think of his game, you don't think of post defense. It's not like you have Andrew Nicholson and Daquan cook, um, uh, down in the, in the front court. Um, so yeah, I mean, Asa is more of a, a wing player. So when Venning has to recover and then get, sometimes gets beat into the paint, that's where you see some of his fouls. Um, you know, th- there's also like random hooks on offense, there's moving screens, stuff like that factors into it. But um, as far as like what we can control in our overall scheme, I, I would like to see a little more defense, especially with a guy like Barry Evans in there. If you remember like the the one three one zone we used to play in 2018 with Ladarian Griffin at the top yeah. of the one three one, just that long, athletic, disruptive guy on defense to show him a different look. We did that when we beat Maryland without Jay Adams. We went to that and really, really disrupted a good Maryland team. I, like I think of some of the personnel and like what we could do. But we've talked about you also got to be able to rebound. Not not super easy to get rebound defensive rebounds out of a zone, um, especially if they're not used to it and get in the game. And we got a couple of transfers who are still getting used to the scheme. So it's a comfortability thing. I think, um, yeah, I, I agree. I want Venning and Brown, uh, down low. I, I, I wish, I, I don't think they're great rebounders for how big they are. Um, I don't know if that's just like being out of position. I feel like they've been out of position a few times. Our leading rebounder is Charles Pride. Right. Um, so the, it's the fouling. And I think the, the bigs got to do better rebounding because we're going to, we're going to see guys like the big man from FAU and Duran Holmes. And there's some good bigs at UMass even has a couple good bigs. Like there's, there's good big men across the Atlantic 10. So some of that stuff, I do feel like some of the mistakes we make are pretty fixable, which is good. And you feel like after watching Saturday, we maybe things are starting to click and that's the turning the corner that we've been waiting for. Um, it was a night and day Saturday versus Wednesday. Yeah, it was great to see that on Saturday too. And hopefully with a week off, they can keep that momentum going. Cause it seems like they've had, you know, between going back and forth from Brooklyn and then playing two games crammed into a holiday week, it's a, it's a lot that's been happening in the last uh, nine or so days for them, at least in that nine day stretch. But yeah, getting back to the rebounding thing, if you look at the Bucknell game, Venning had two rebounds. Noel Brown only had one. Meanwhile, for Bucknell, mm-hmm. Noel Williamson had six and Jack Forrest had seven. So yeah. that helped keep Bucknell in the game for sure, because they were mainly defensive rebounds because Bucknell only had three offensive rebounds. But those defensive mm-hmm. rebounds kept Bucknell from giving us second opportunities because we had 11 offensive rebounds, but some of those were on second chance putbacks, third chance putbacks. And they still don't go in, which I don't know if there's a yeah. stat on it. I feel like we lead the country. We lead the country in second chance putback misses or something ridiculous. I feel like <laughs> it's just always like a, like a, a volleyball game at the net. <laughs> just trying to yeah. tip it back and forth. And still going. And now they go. Holmes. Gets the screen out front. Still has the ball. Gets it back to Attaway. Jalen for three. It's good! It's good! No timeouts left. Williams just a shot away. No good! Bodies win! Wow. Jalen Attaway! Wow. That changed against um, Miami, Ohio because Chad had six boards and Noel Brown had seven boards. So right there they had 13 as opposed to three. Uh, against Bucknell, Mm -hmm. whereas Miami, Ohio had 22 for their entire team. So they almost, you know, had as they had more than half as many as Miami had by themselves. So once you throw in pride and what he normally does, then it's, yeah, it's, it was a clear advantage where Miami wasn't getting many second chances and we were getting out in transition faster Mm -hmm. with, with Miami. So, yeah, I, I think 
a lot of that got solved. What just broadly speaking, what do you think was the biggest switch that flipped for the guys between Wednesday and Saturday? Was it just finally hitting some threes? Was there anything you saw in the offensive execution? Because, you know, the second half was about 50-50 and, you know, it wasn't overwhelming. But the first half was easily the best half we played this year. I don't care who the opponent is. That was great. Yeah. And you have mentioned, like, Williamson and some of the other big men. Uh, Miami, Ohio is not one of those teams. So no. like they b- basically played four guards in their big man, uh, Morris, uh, because Mirambo is out and they have a seven footer who was out with like a finger. So their two best, probably their two best big men, definitely their best big man. And then another seven footer were out with injuries. So they had Morris, a six, eight guy playing center. And then the four other guys were pretty much guards. Um, Darwishi Hunter, a kind of a wing, Boltman's a wing, but in essence, it's four guards, similar to when we had Attaway at the four at six five. Um, so, and Attaway is way more athletic than yeah. those two guys. But um, I thought like Brown, especially, just had his way inside. Um, not going to happen against a good, a really good big, a true big body five man. I thought we really did a good job taking advantage of their lack of size underneath, um, and the ball movement as well. The ball movement was much better. I thought it was the, easily the best we've had this year. We had 20 assists in that game. We didn't have huh. 20 assists in a game all of last year. You have to go all the way back to February of the 2022 season against UMass where we had 20 assists. We only had three that, that team that was ranked that one in Charleston and then the wheels fell off still a really good team. As everyone knows, we had 20 assists only three times all year. And that's a team that played together for three years. Really? You think of that team, you think of Lofton really good assist, man, a lot of good ball movement. Um, it didn't rely as much on ISO like we did last year. That team at three games all year where they had 20 assists. We did that against Miami, Ohio. Um, of course, to get an assist, obviously, the ball has to go in the hoop, which we struggled with. So the the jumpers falling, I thought we got some really good looks. So I don't think it was one thing. I think it was a combination. Miami's lack of size underneath, our ability to kind of um, have our way down low, the ball movement was much better, and our shooters, Banks especially, finally getting going. Yeah, and we were talking about the rebounds but for, for Vetting and Brown, but Vetting had 14 points, Noel Brown had 16. If those two are scoring 30 yeah. combined points, I don't know how many games we're going to be losing if they can do that every time. That's, that was tremendous out of both of them, whether they were you know first-chance opportunities or some putbacks mm-hmm. or... Chad Vetting always grabbing offensive rebounds of his own shots. What was I remember yeah. Brendan McDaniel saying something about him having like four offensive rebounds at one point in the game, and all four <laughs> of them were his own shot. So that just goes to my oh, point: like, yeah. why are we missing all these bunnies and getting our own boards? <laughs> at least we're getting the getting them, I guess, right? But yeah, it was an equal yeah. opportunity scoring situation for you know, you know, we had five guys in double figures: Charles Pride eighteen, Banks and Noel Brown at sixteen. Chad Benning 14 and Mike Adams Woods 11. We, you know, I still would have liked to seen Asa Samvu step up a little more. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little worried about where he's fitting into Charles pride becoming more of a force on offense because not only is pride considered, you know, a pretty good shooter from outside, but he's definitely, you know, a force to be reckoned with inside on in rebounding and getting to the line and, and getting some, shots in the lane so you know i, I would want to see asa step us take a step up or i'm i'm wondering if barry may need to take his spot in the rotation at least on the as a starter yeah asa's taken the most threes of anyone this year uh he's taken 34 three-pointers charles pride right behind him at 33 um and as a team we take a lot of three-pointers so like yeah. uh if you look our how many threes we take per field goal attempt 74th in the country out of 362 teams or whatever. We take a lot of threes um, and the percentage went up uh, because of the Miami Ohio game. But before that it was pretty bad. Asa on a team that takes a lot of threes leads the the team in three point attempts, but he's only eight of 34. Um, and I think banks going into the Miami game was like three of 21. We were like those two, if we're going to do what we want to do this year, 
those are really the two guys that need to be able to be more consistent. So uh, Banks got out of a slump. Hopefully in the next game or two, Asa can be the next guy to get out of a slump. He's got such a smooth release. He has a really quick catch and shoot. Like when he's in the corner and he gets a pass, he gets a shot off so quickly. Just a really, really nice jumper. Um, I feel like his form has changed a little bit from last year. I don't know if they Mm -hmm. mess with it or or something, but it it does seem like it changed a a tiny bit from what I remember, but he still has that quick release, super smooth. Um, I think, I hope he'll be the next, we know he's really good. Uh, And we saw him last year. If, if I pull up his, what was his percentage last year? He was, he was over 40% from deep. He was 81st out of all players in the country, 65 of 155 from three. When you're shooting 42% from three, that's that's damn good on 155 yeah. attempts. So um, he'll get back. Like he, I don't think he's just going to lose his ability to, to shoot the three. Um, I want to see him put the ball on the ground a little more and, and get to the hoop and use that other dimension of his game. If he can be uh, a guy who can you know keep defenses honest and a guy who can get to the rim that's going to make him all the more dangerous and really open things up on the outside not just for him but for other guys so I don't know if you know Schmidt said that he um he was a suburban shooter last year which means he was just catch and shoot suburban shooter Mm -hmm. he said this year he really worked on putting the ball on the floor and getting to the rim Saw it, I feel like, a little bit more the last game or two, but still not as much as I hope. So I think I hope he can keep doing that, and it's not something that we'll have to wait till next year for because if he can be a slasher and, and get into the lane and create, um, that's going to make him really dangerous. But um, I'm, I'm not overly worried about him. We have enough, I think, shooters on the team that we should be able to find the hot hand in most games, whether it's Pride or Banks or Flowers, like – or Adams Woods, of course, like we have enough um, balance, I think, to be able to use our hot hand. So um, I'm predicting that in one of the next three games, Asa is going to be our leading scorer. And I think, you know, by a 10 play, he's going to get that average up and he'll be just fine. Yeah. And I don't want to be too critical of Asa because he had, you know, three threes in both the wins over Longwood State and Oklahoma State. You know, those are two games mm-hmm. he did break 10 points and got into double figures. But other than those two games, he has been a bit of a non-factor. So that's that was my point ultimately was is is he finding a role in this offense with Charles Pride kind of being a a different version of him, kind of like a, a stronger, you know, more physical version of Asa. And, you know, I, I think, you know, like you said, there are going to be nights when Asa may catch fire and you know, Daryl Banks is cold and we may need even need to rely on Moses Flowers off the bench. So there are there is mm-hmm. definitely room for Asa to grow. And I'm not saying that like he needs to be benched in any way, but you know, it's you know, I, I think that you're gonna see Barry Evans continue to emerge and grow, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for either Asa or the rest of the team. It's just something that, you know, may give us another dimension with Barry Evans being a, a more physical uh, player, I think, and a better rebounder. They're so different too. Like they're almost exact opposites. Um, yeah. And I don't think Pride really is gonna. Asa and Pride are two different positions. So like Pride is almost always playing the three, um, maybe move down to the two a little bit. But Asa really is just the four man, and he's he's right. been the four man even when Evans is in. I think technically Evans is considered the three. Last year Evans played the three all year, and it was um, Asa or Jan Farrell. And uh, Anquan Hill at the four. So we right. really just got rid of Hill left, and then Evans slid up into that backup four role so we could have more minutes there at the two and the three for Pride, Banks, and Flowers. Um, I do, I, I think there are enough minutes to go around. Like if, if Barry's playing really well and Asa's playing really well, I want to see those two on the floor together. Um, there's a yeah. lot of ways that you can mix and match these lineups. We have versatile players. Uh, the way we recruit, we recruit guys who are mostly positionless, um, guys who can defend multiple positions and they can do different things offensively. Um, but then I, I feel like when they're actually on the roster, they're usually kind of locked into one spot. 
um, and that's how it is for the whole season. So I, I would like to see a little more versatility with our lineups, and I think we are getting there, and the main reason is because of how good Evans has been. Um, you can make the argument that so far this year, Evans has been our third best player. Yeah. Um, I, I And honestly, I don't know how many people would even – argue that like pride and Adams woods, the two transfers have been awesome. I would say those are, have been our two best players this, you know, six games into the season. Evans in his role, he so far might be the third best guy that we have. So he's got to be able to get I want to see 20 to 25 minutes a game for Evans. You can do a little bit at the three, most of it at the four, Asa can still get his 25 to 30 minutes and Evans get that 10 to 15 at the four and five to 10 minutes at the three. I, I think that's what we should do. And that opens up so many different things that you can do defensively as well. Yeah. The only argument might be like Chad Vetting, but he puts up great stats, but he also gets into foul trouble way too much. Um, one final thing before we get to um, those uh, clowns from Amherst, uh, <laughs> they um, two things that we were talking about the lineups, two things that jumped out to me. First off, Melian Martinez got his first action as a body. I believe that yep. was his first actual appearance as a body. First points. He, you know, do we think he's going to actually contribute at all in any situation when Benning and Brown are getting into foul trouble? And then also we, who we did not see was Miles Rose and Dwayne Thompson. Do you think they're on yeah. the way to a red shirt? Looks like it. Yeah. Once I saw Martinez come in, I'm looking at the, at the bench and I'm like, okay, are Rose and Thompson coming in because, you know, Thompson's, like we said, just talked about that position at the four. Jan can play, excuse me, Asa can play 35 minutes a game if he has to. There's not many minutes to be had at the four. There's no minutes to be had at that like two, three guard where Rose would be. Um, and like we've talked about on previous episodes, Thompson's really young. He didn't do a prep year. He reclassified to move up and, and come to Bana's. So, you know, I, I think, yes, I think both are going to redshirt um, that the, the fact that they didn't get in barring some multiple injuries that hopefully we don't have uh, that looks like what it'll be. You know, they'll probably still dress and then end up redshirting. That's what Martinez did last year. I don't think um, Martinez is ready quite yet to crack um, Schmidt's rotation or be like that third Maxim Madison type that we had last year. Um, but you never know. I mean, in certain matchups, if, you know, Venning fouls out and Brown has four fouls with 10 minutes left. Will we see Martinez in the second half? I'm not sure if Schmidt trusts him enough just yet. I mean, we were up, we were dominating that entire game. Miami had no presence inside whatsoever and yeah. he didn't get in until it was time to, you know, bring the walk-ons in. So I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll see Martinez quite yet. Um, and it looks like Thompson and Rose will be redshirting. Um, Thompson could have had a, a full prep year at Putnam instead comes here, has a year to play against really, really good D one veteran players and, you know, get acquainted to the team, the system, the staff, the teammates, the campus, all that stuff. Yeah. I think it's going to really be beneficial for him. Yeah, and when you look at the departing seniors this year that are probably going to be Daryl Banks, you know, Mike Adams-Woods, Moses Flowers, and Charles Pride, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for, you know, clearly uh, Martinez would slip into a role uh, down low. And then, of course, Rose and Thompson have plenty of options to, you know, potentially be some perimeter threats next year. But, yeah, it looks like those three guys mm -hmm. are going to be uh, – in the future, although I think, unfortunately, we may get thrown into a situation where we need a few minutes out of Martinez in a game where we're in ridiculous foul trouble because it seems to always, almost always happen. Did it against Miami, but you know what? That may be the exception to the rule. We're SUNY Amherst. We're New York's commuter powerhouse, and we have the parking lots to prove it. Where over 11% of our student population knows we have a basketball team and nearly 23 full students attend games. Don't let our tired and phony marketing gimmicks fool you. We aren't just another boilerplate mid-level state school. For 175 years, SUNY Amherst has helped develop young men and women into notable adults, such as Harvey Weinstein and Judge Janine Pirro. 
SUNY Amherst, void of culture, void of soul. Well, hopefully we don't get any foul trouble in our next game, which is against the State University of New York at Amherst. The SUNY Amherst Bulls are not even close to where they were a few years ago under the um the 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 most upstanding citizen clearly in in college basketball Nate Oates when he was coaching them <laughs> they have fallen apart from the that high and uh that sleaze bag they are now one of the worst teams in the country we are playing at the airport hangar in Amherst so you know it's a road game but it is our worst team that we're playing on the road this season even when you count all of the A10 teams because no A10 team is even close to SUNY Amherst being terrible. No. And while we're recording this Tuesday night, they will have one game before playing us. They will be playing at James Madison, who is ranked. Yeah, not in football. Well, they are in football, but they're also ranked in basketball because they, of course, had the first significant upset of the season when they beat Michigan State in East Lansing. And now in the AP poll, they are... Where are they in the AP poll? I'm pulling it up. They are 22nd in the AP poll. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say James Madison is going to beat SUNY Amherst at James Madison. Yeah. It's 92-69 yeah. on Palm. 2% chance of the Bulls winning. That I, I think we can <laughs> assume that. And if and if they do somehow beat James Madison, you know what? They're going to be too tired and they'll lose to us anyways probably. So let's go over SUNY Amherst. Analytically, they are one of the worst teams in the country, like I mentioned. They are 1-5, probably going to be 1-6 with that loss to James Madison. And do you know who that one win is against? I'll give you a hint. They are not a Division One team. I know because I've, I've looked at it and I've laughed at it. I know. Yes. I'm just setting you up I for did. it. <laughs> I know you know. It's Robert Roberts Wesleyan, correct? It is. It is Roberts Wesleyan. Yes, sir. Where was um where was uh Brockport? Were they not were they not available for a game? Fredonia. They played Fredonia, I think, in the last couple of years. Or maybe Canisius played Fredonia. Yeah, that was a close game though. Roberts Wesleyan gave him a gave him a game. Yeah, it was eighty nine like three. <laughs> I actually mean look at this box score. What did, what did they even like? While you look that up, I will say it's funny how that works. Nate Oates shows up with Brian Hodgson, greases a few palms. All of a sudden, Buffalo <laughs> out of nowhere in the Mac is getting four stars like Jonathan Williams. I'm sure it's all on the up and up. It's all done cleanly, and all their fans are like, oh my God. Bonas is now the number two team in Western New York behind Buffalo. I mean, I could, these fans, you won't hear from, they, they haven't even talked about the basketball team in a couple of years, probably. No. They only show up when the team is good. They only puff their chest out after they win. Um, they would say things like in terms of Western New York name recognition, Buffalo rules the roost in terms of quality <laughs> of the program. Bonas and UB are now peers just because of like a couple good seasons under NATO, it's everyone knew he was going to bounce the first chance he gets. Um, and look what happens. They go right back to even below where they were. A lot of people want like the AD fire. The football team is in shambles. The basketball team is total shit right now. Um, really, really bad uh, state of affairs up there in the m- endless parking lots on the <laughs> SUNY Amherst campus. Um, this is, you know, this is more of who they are. So when they're at their peak, um, you can say, oh yeah, we are, you know, we're right on par with Bonas as a program. Bonas has been nothing but consistent dating all the way back to like the fifties, you know, from Donovan to Weesey to Sadelin to Baron to Schmidt, like you pick the decade other than probably the eighties, Bonas had some really damn good teams all the way back, you know, six, 70, 80 years. Um, yeah. We we have like the third longest, we had the third longest 10 uh, win season streak in the A-10. Only those awesome Temple and UMass teams of the 90s were, were above us. Like Bonas has been the pillar, the, the super consistent program. UB, SUNY Ambers has pretty much been the opposite. And now they are seeing like, hey, maybe you shouldn't get, so like puff your chest out so much when you have a good season or two because if your coach leaves and a coach it's a coach that 
has been known to grease some palms. This is pretty much what's going to happen. They're very, very <laughs> bad this year. The powerhouse has pretty much lost all their power. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at like, yeah, yeah you were talking about our consistency. Last year was our worst year since 2008, essentially, if I'm I'm looking back mm-hmm. on all these years. You know, maybe you could argue 2013, you know, the dis- disappointment after the 2012 championship. Yeah, maybe yeah. that was bad, too. But this like 2008 was probably the worst year we've had since in between then and last year. So and even last year, compared to what SUNY Amherst could be this year, yeah, 14 and 18. That's actually pretty good considering SUNY Amherst right now in Kempom. Six and twenty-four, four and fourteen projected in the MAC with one A. By the way, we're playing four MAC teams in a row, but one conference is you know one A, <laughs> one conference is with the two A's. Sienna and yeah. Niagara, of course, are next. But yeah, they're they're only projected. They're only a favorite right now against Niagara. Speaking of Niagara, uh, mm-hmm. two days before New Year's Eve. So yeah, this is going to be a rough team, a rough year this year for uh, SUNY Amherst. They are in the 300s in efficiency on offense and defense. They're the fifth worst team at defending threes. They're nice. not much better at defending Bring twos. They're in the oh, 300s yeah. at shooting threes. They, Talk um, dirty. They don't. <laughs> is this turn you on? Is this going to be like yeah. a – Oh, this is great. This I'm going to make this an uh, NC-17 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you pull up Buffalo's Ken Palm page and it's just all red. And you're just, you're just like, oh my God, the blood flow right now. Ken Palm is putting OnlyFans out of business. Not OnlyFans, yeah. but OnlyFans. <laughs> They're putting Ken, he's putting OnlyFans out of business with this uh, SUNY Amherst page right here. Yeah, they are, you know, effective field goal percentage, terrible. Turnover percentage on both ends, terrible. They're really good at offensive rebounding. I will say that. And that's pretty much it. They're they're halfway decent at blocking shots, I guess. But yeah, it is it is a it is an amazing um, it is an amazing <laughs> Ken Palm sheet to look at. And you have every right yeah. to uh, get out the uh, Kleenex and and uh, and whatever your uh, lotion that you're using right now yeah. is. Oh, by the way, Anquan Bolden, former Arizona Cardinals wide right. receiver, plays for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Now, the, the, he still has eligibility. Yep. No, he's actually a freshman. So he went, uh, Benjamin Button situation here. No, he went. Um, he went. No, it's a uh, Bolden B O L D I N, isn't it? No, it's it's his son. It's his son. I mean, it, it looks just like him. It has to be his son. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> There's actually yeah, I mean, Bolden. Yeah, I was do. I was working on like the visual previews that I put out, and it you can tell like it's it's and it has to be Anquan Bolden's son. It's Anquan Bolden Jr. Okay. On the wing for the for the Bulls. Yeah. Ah. Uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but other than him, they got Cy Chapman, who's, you know, a power forward for them. I'm not, he played I'm, at an A-10 school, I believe. Well, who was that that he played for? Yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, he was at the University of Ma- – oh, speaking of Amherst, the University of Massachusetts Amherst. So he went from one Amherst uh, yeah. to the other one, although he had a yeah. two, two years at Illinois State for uh, some reason. But, yeah, Cy Chapman, if you remember that name vaguely from the mm-hmm. – 2019 pre-COVID seasons. Uh, he yeah. was at at us at a UMass Amherst. They have a Kanye on the team, Kanye Jones, but he's not really playing much. Uh, some inter- so they got an inter- few interesting names here. Um, but yeah, in terms of their main contributors, it seems like Isaiah Adams is one of their go-to guys inside Chapman as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before I get into the players specifically, SUNY Amherst is 0 and 6 versus D1 opponents this year. Yep. They give up 84 points per game and they are negative 81 point differential on the season. If you look at our next, I don't want to get too far ahead because we, in the next episode, we will preview Niagara and Sienna and we do want to um, kind of keep this one concise a little bit, but just real quick, the, our next three opponents are a combined two and 14 versus D one opponents. Their only wins are against St. Francis, who's 359th, one of the fourth worst team Ooh. in the country. They're 0 and 5 versus D1 opponents, and Holy Cross, who's 342. So, um, combined. Holy Cross beat Georgetown, though? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's the com- only thing they've done. <laughs> yeah. Combined, our next three opponents, and mind you, this is pretty early in the season. So, we're not even a quarter of the way through the season. Our next three opponents are combined negative 219. <laughs> point differential um just brutal brutal stuff with these uh new york rivals we cannot cannot drop 
one of these games. In fact, we really do have to just dominate them. Siena got pounded by Richmond. Um, Buffalo is giving up tons of points. Um, their best player is probably their starting center, Smith. Um, pretty, really good offensive rating, decent rebounding, uh, a good shooting percentage numbers. Like you said, Chapman will be the other guy in the front court. Adams has been coming off the bench. He's used a lot. He's been a good facilitator for them. Fulcher, their starting point guard. Um, he's been getting a decent amount of steals, distributes it pretty well. He's used a lot as well. And then Sable on the wing. Um, he'll be sharing the wing probably with Anquan Bolden Jr. He <laughs> is a threat from deep. Um, pretty much all he can do, though, is just shoot threes. And he has a, a really good true shooting percentage. But I feel like in these games, like it's the only guy on the floor that can shoot. We did it against Bucknell with Jack Forrest. We do it quite a bit. The only guy on the floor that can shoot ends up having quite a bit of open looks. I just hope we don't do that. We talked a little bit about defense earlier, our defense and how it's looked. I don't love doubling the post unless it's some unless it's the dude from FAU or something or Holmes. Yeah. I don't want to double the post because I feel like they kick it out and it ends up leading to open threes, and that is what we cannot have happen. Um, we are back in Buffalo, of course, in that airport hangar for the second year in a row. Um, so they will be a little more comfortable. It is our first true road game, not our first game away from the rally center, but our yeah. first true road game. If you can count it that, because there will probably be what a dozen, maybe two dozen SUNY Amherst fans there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, technically it'll be road, but that not very much. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be more people at the bonus pregame party, wherever that's going to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I looked yeah. that up where that's going to be, but yeah, whoever that's, wherever that's going to be, I'm sure that's going to have more Bonnie's fans than um, SUNY Amherst will have in the arena, let alone, let alone us having people in the arena for the actual game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to be, um, by the way, it looks like it is going to be at brick house tavern and tap 1130 to 130. If anybody's okay. going there, um, I will not 1130. Be, I will not be uh, at, at making the trip to Amherst for Saturday. But, you know what, go if you want to enjoy it. So, yeah, I think getting back to the guys, you know, the biggest advantage, it seems like down low is going to be very important for us to make sure this doesn't get to be a close game. Uh, Genevia Smith is their biggest player that plays mm-hmm. any minutes at six foot nine. Yeah. Chapman six eight, and he's a power forward. You know, those guys are smaller than Venning and Brown. Like, Genevia Smith is six nine, 200 pounds. So yeah. there's there's not only a height advantage, a slight height advantage, but there's also a you know there's also a size advantage too there. So yeah, yeah. you know, Sean Fulcher and Isaiah Adams should be you know tricky for some of the guards, but you know this seems like if you know if they execute the same game plan as they did against Miami Ohio, there shouldn't be a problem because it looks like SUNY Amherst is just a worse version of Miami Ohio yeah they uh and that kind of is the theme we said uh, out of all of these really bad teams that we were playing bucknell miami buffalo niagara sienna five really bad teams in a row we said miami ohio is probably the best of all of them and we won by 30 so uh last year also we we had six guys returning six those guys played there last year um you're talking banks and asa and luke and flowers all those guys played there last year and got their asses kicked um, yeah. that game in, in Amherst last year. And I have a, I, I did a full chart of all of our non-conference games dating back like 10 or 15 years. I wanted to see the movement and how much these non-conference games are affecting us positively or negatively. That Buffalo game last year was our second biggest drop in the non-conference of Schmidt's tenure, I believe. Yeah. We dropped 25 spots last year after losing 83 to 66 to them. Um, they were lighting it up from deep. It's a much different team, a different coach. We have a, a different team this year um, in some aspects, but those six guys better remember getting their asses kicked last year, show up with – some some onions and that urgency that we saw against Miami, Ohio. Um, there have been too many games where we come out of the come out to start the game and then come out of the half just looking really, really 
um, like a deer in the headlights almost. I think it was the game against Bucknell. 75% of our points. So Ken Palm breaks the games down by quarter, even though obviously the, the sport is two halves. He breaks it down by quarter. Bonas had in the first quarter against Bucknell only eight points. And in the third eight. quarter, <laughs> yeah. And in the third quarter, coming out of the half, only nine points. We had 50 of our 67 points in those last 10 minutes of the half. So we are we were not coming out hot. We did that against Miami, Ohio. Um, but I, I feel like there's this kind of happened last year, somewhat of a contagious shooting team. It seems like if we get off to a rough start, that continues a bit too much. And when we have gotten off to a hot start last year, um, like against UMass and Bowling Green, and then this yeah. year against Miami, Ohio, seems like that kind of continues. I want to see us get out, find the hot hand, come out with urgency and some fire. This is a damn rivalry game against a bad team. This is your chance to absolutely – um, absolutely destroy a, a team that kind of did that to you last year. Yeah, and I think one thing that we have to continue to do or not do, depending on how you look at these two stats, is protect the ball. I, I think these two stats are hilarious on Kempom. So we are the fifth best in the country at not getting the ball stolen from us on offense. So 5%, 5.3%. Like, we don't get the ball stolen from us, but... We are the fifth worst in the country at non-steal turnovers. So you know what that means? That means mm-hmm. stepping out of bounds on a corner three. That means dribbling off feet. That means offensive fouls. That means all that nonsense. That's those, if you're thinking in tennis terms, unforced errors as opposed to steals being forced errors. So an unforced error-filled game would keep SUNY Amherst in it. That's something that we've been terrible at avoiding yeah. this season so far. I mean, another stat that I want to know, like just one of these gut stats that we probably lead the country in is stepping out of bounds on those corner threes like, mm-hmm. or whenever they get Every the ball game. on that corner. Three <laughs> Multiple area. times. At yeah. least three times a game. It's, it's ridiculous. Somebody's going to keep track of this. Like maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We just got to, you know, stop doing that. Those unforced errors, those dumb turnovers. And I think as yeah. long as Venning and Brown, stay relatively out of foul trouble, I think we should be good in this one. Yeah. And that non-steal turnover, I was actually talking to a friend about this who who brought this exact thing up. That is a the per, how, what percentage of our turnovers aren't from steals, like not getting the ball stolen from us. Um, and you you did kind of say that, but overall, if you look at the the amount of turnovers we have in general, not bad. I mean, we're, we're pretty average. Um, it's right. not anything that's killing us defensively however we're creating a ton of turnovers we're 34th in the country in creating turnovers we are fourth in the country in creating non-steal turnovers forcing um teams into mistakes some of that might be uh, other teams just (laughs) making mistakes themselves as well but um yeah so very interesting when you go like fifth in the country to bottom fifth in the country yeah. in those two stats they kind of balance out at least yeah um, but top I, five and bottom five that makes middle yeah, of the road exactly, exactly. 50th probably yeah 50%. and that's where I you mean. see the turnover percentage overall 174th right around average um so i i think if one thing is fixable it is that non-steal turnover i thought this was a stat we would be awesome at with all of the um, the upperclassmen and the vets and you know we're the most experienced team as you've heard on every broadcast non-steal turnover shouldn't be something that's that's really killing us um so i think you know i think that will by no means will it get up to like average but i think we'll get it up to a reasonable number and um stop yeah crushing ourselves with some of these stupid turnovers yeah i think you know just to wrap it up you know miami ohio wasn't exactly the toughest team that we're going to face by any stretch of the imagination but it showed us two things that can get fixed hopefully and that it will you know really get us back to where we were hoping for preseason. It is shooting better from three. And, you know, Schmidt has said that he likes, you know, the top shooters to keep shooting through slumps, whether that be banks or, you know, maybe Asa at some point, he's kind of like that too, you know, just keep shooting. Eventually they're falling like they did against Miami, Ohio. Hopefully they continue to fall. And then those non-steal turnovers, those unforced errors, if you clean those up, you know, then that should, Mm -hmm. you know, really set them up for a good amount of success. So, one quick shout out before we wrap. Yeah. I got a shout out. I was going to do it earlier. I forgot. 
uh, Moses Flowers. He played awesome against Bucknell. He's their best player, which we talked about on the floor mm-hmm. of that game. Had a, a bad shooting game against Miami, Ohio. I didn't even notice it because of how well we played overall that he was having an off game, honestly, until I looked at the box score. But Moses Flowers, got to give him a shout out. We're up 84 to 51, and uh, Bonabench put this on Twitter. We're up 84 to 51, 33 points with under five minutes left. He is diving on the floor for a loose ball um, <laughs> on, the, on the offensive end, just corralling it, wrestling it away from a Miami player on the floor, gets picks it up, gets it to Asa, who gets it to Evans for an awesome breakaway dunk. It was my favorite play of the entire game. So Flowers can have an off day shooting. He is, you know, fifth year team captain. Love seeing him dive on the floor for loose ball and wrestle that away. So shout out to him for that. Yeah, definitely. He's always ready to step in there and, you know, he wasn't needed against Miami, Ohio. Fortunately, it was you know pretty pretty dominant performance for most of the starters. You know, but he will definitely be needed at plenty of more times as we need mm-hmm. him against Bucknell. So yeah, shout out to Moses Flowers. Thank you all so much again for listening to us here on SB Unfurled and Friends. Enjoy the game on Saturday if you're going to it against the proud school of Harvey Weinstein, SUNY Amherst. <laughs> Harvey, I will never let people forget that. That's Harvey Weinstein went to SUNY Amherst. We will yes. always, always remember that here on SB Unfurled and yeah. Friends. So thank yes, you so much will. for listening to us here. Be sure to follow us on Twitter <laughs> at SB Unfurled for some great analysis at LittleBotX for some nonsense, as you normally know. <laughs> Be sure to also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Rate us and give us five stars wherever you can. And thank you so much for joining us. Go Bonnets. Yeah,